Well, welcome everyone. Uh, we are so happy to see. If you want to turn your chair around, that'd be great. You'll have a very stiff neck at the end of the evening if you don't. Uh, it is great to see a crowd that is not a COVID crowd, which is very few people. So thank you for your courage uh, and uh, thank you for being here. My name is Frank Loria and I am uh, I have the privilege of hosting uh, the Alpha co uh, course. This is our 39th time that we've done Alpha at Lakeview, and we want to welcome each and every one of you. How many here, it's your first time at an Alpha course? Would you just raise your hand? That is wonderful. Well, welcome. We are glad to have you here. So I'll, let me tell you um, a little bit about me, then I'll give you a bit of a history of the Alpha course and why I believe it's going to be worth your while, other than food to be here for the next nine Tuesdays, or as many as you can. Whether you can make it to the, to the remainder of the courses or just a few, we're just happy and delighted to have you here. So thank you for being here. A little bit about me, I'm not on staff here, um, and pretty soon you'll understand why. Um, but uh, I do know in a small business uh, in the New Orleans area, I'm in the executive search business, and I've been in that business for about 43 years and my wife and I have attended Lakeview for last weekend was 42 years. Isn't that amazing? So we have not been thrown out yet. So, um, but before I go any further, I have to introduce you to my better three quarters on her a bad day. So Annette, would you stand up, sweetheart, and let everyone recognize that is, that is my bride of 43 years, uh, seven months. Uh, 22 days, eight hours, and about 38 minutes. And we have three grown kids that are married to three other grown kids. Uh, and they have given us 12 grandkids. And uh, pretty exciting. Both Annette and I grew up in New Orleans. Annette went to Dominican High School. And I went to an all-boy military school called New Orleans Academy. Unfortunately, it does not exist any longer. But I had the distinction of graduating in the top 18 in my class of 21, and um, <laughs> I, I chose not to get a college education, so I attended Louisiana State University. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but it, uh, I, I joined the wildest fraternity on campus. I was a, anybody go to LSU, not get a college education either? Just a few of you, okay. Um, and um, I was uh, a member of the original Animal House. I was a deke at LSU, a member of Delta Kappa Epsilon Fraternity. And that's where, actually, I met Annette, and uh, swinging from a chandelier. And, uh, and that, really, that's where she caught my eye with her heel. And then her knee with my shoulder and uh, fell down, and she has been all over me ever since. It's just been, well, that's the way I remember it, though it's not true. Um, so I'll tell you more about myself uh, a little bit later. But, you know, the Alpha Course has been around for quite a while. It actually began as a little fledgling Bible study in an Anglican church in London, England, where an attorney turned minister, which sounds kind of strange. Uh, I'm sorry, Charles. Uh, but, you know, it <laughs> so um, he became a rector of Holy Trinity Brompton Church and took this little bitty Bible study and turned it into what today is the Alpha Course which is global. It has all over the world. It's over in over 100 languages and over 130 different countries. Over 28 million people have attended the Alpha Course all over from every denomination, really every mainline Christian denomination. And it's been really fun for us because we've had pastors from Baptist Church, Catholic Church, Presbyterian Church. It's just been a lot of fun. And we've been real privileged to have leaders of churches and Christian uh, education directors come and be a part of Alpha, and we're grateful to have you guys here as, as well. So we've done Alpha here since September of 2001, and as I said, it's our 39th Alpha, and we've probably had well over 8,000 people, and so thank you for joining that number. Well, what is Alpha? Alpha is basically an introduction to biblical Christianity. It's really an introduction to the Bible, because if Christianity is anything, it's what's to be found in the pages of the Bible. And so what we're going to be talking about over the course of Alpha is, is the Bible reliable? Can we believe it? What does it say? Most of us don't believe it, but we've really never read it. And so Alpha is going to be an opportunity for us to come and, and think together, reason together, talk and listen in a totally non-threatening atmosphere. 
you can be totally comfortable here. And so, and we are, love that, and we, we brag about that because we do want, every one of us is coming from a little bit of a different place. We've got a little bit of a different upbringing, maybe have a little bit of a different understanding of things. So here's an opportunity for us to come and think about not just what do we believe, but why do I believe what I believe? Now, also, I want to tell you what Alpha is not. Alpha is not, and I will say this again, Alpha is not an, uh, an opportunity for us to get you to change your church, your denomination. Uh, not, this is not a membership drive for us. Uh, it is totally free, and there's nobody's going to be asking you for an offering. Uh, all we want to ask you to do is come and relax and enjoy yourself and just be as home as you pos- at home as you possibly can, make some new friends, gain about six pounds. That's the average of what happens here, about six pounds uh, over the 10 weeks. So, um, so anyway, uh, our hope is this, that in the midst of the 100-mile-an-hour lives that we live, and don't we at least 100-mile-an-hour lives, that we may just want to pause for just a little bit, think about life's questions Life's questions that we really need answers to, important questions for our entire lives, uh, not just for a moment. You know, it was, it was Socrates that said, the unexamined life is not worth living. I think you wouldn't have a problem with me saying the unexamined life is really not a life. That life is about under, examining and discovering. And so... This statement that he made hundreds and hundreds of years ago is so relevant even today. And if we're going to attain what the vast majority of us say we desire, what do we want? You know, most people, you ask people what they want. They want happiness. They want meaning. They want purpose. They want, they want fulfillment. They want their lives to count for something. And the question is, though, how do you define happiness? How do you define fulfillment? What does that mean to you? How do you... At- that if you're a professional football player and you want to and your whole life is to be a professional football player and that is your life that is your goal and you're running around end and some little bitty cornerback takes you out at the knees and you're having a difficult time walking again what's happened to life's goal if you're an opera singer if and you lose your voice or your desire to have children and god forbid you lose your children All of these things, if we define happiness in this way, we may find that our life has not been examined enough to be fulfilling, to be something that is full and meaningful, even when things in life happen that we have no control of. So the issue here, again, is, hey, what do you believe? Interesting. Why do you believe that? And I'm not even sure I knew what I believed. And so, again, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to do that together. But for that to happen, it's going to take an investment in time. You're going to have to tap the brakes. You may have to slam on the brakes. Just kind of get a little slower for us to do this and be us to really get the most out of this course. It was Oz Guinness, the teacher and author from England, fascinating read this with me most of us feel immortal in our teens and 20s true then move through life so fast in our 30s and 40s that we lose sight of the journey and think only of our careers been there even in our 50s we barely hear the roar of the rapids several bends down river have you awakened to the journey of life Or are you among those drifting down the years? Are you among those so caught up on the project of themselves that they choose not to hear the flow of time? Are you living an examined life? I don't know if he had read any of Socrates, but that's the question. Or are you living in the hand-me-down ideas of others? Are you open to the full uh, interrogation of life? Or are you closed to the search because you believe what you've always believed without question? You know, some people think that that those people that have really made it, they don't have those questions anymore. The the rich, the the entertainers, the celebrities, they've, they've attained everything. But you know, you don't have to travel far and ask many people that have that we would love to be, that being everything we would love to be 
is not all it's cracked up to be. You, maybe you've heard of Shia LaBeouf. This is what he says. This, you guys know him from Hollywood, Transformers, and all those other movies he's made. He says, sometimes I feel I'm live, live, living blah, blah, a meaningless life, and I get frightened. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could all go away. You never know. I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I'm not so sure about that. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from. But look what he says. But it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it. And I'd be on my way. Back in 2005, uh, Tom Brady, we've heard of Tom Brady, right? The guy that retired and then didn't retire. <laughs> Unlike Drew Brees that retired and stayed retired. Um, Tom Brady, 2005, he's won three Super Bowls. He's interviewed by Steve Croft, 60 Minutes Overtime. I want you to watch this little video clip of Tom Brady with, with volume, please. Maybe without volume. Out there for me. Let's start that again, Mike. Can we, let's see if I can. Okay, let's see. If, I want you to hear. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, it's... I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a... I know I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with, with great people. Mm -hmm. And I think I get more out of that than anything. Interesting. So he's got seven now, right? He's got seven, and he's still, still trying to find something more. He said, I think he said, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite Super Bowl? To, that you want that you win he said the next one so um interesting ted turner you guys some of you guys have heard of ted turner uh some call it the father of cable television uh cnn cable news network uh used to be worth eight billion he's only now worth 2.2 billion so i think he's going to make it anyway uh, but during an interview with barbara walters he was asked by barbara walters what do you mean by success what to you is successful? Turner said, I think it's kind of an empty bag, to tell you the truth. You have to get there to really know that. Money doesn't buy happiness, and neither does honors or position and awards or trophies. Hmm. Here's Ted today, aged a little bit. See, money doesn't buy happiness, and neither does honors or positions and awards or trophies. It's fascinating that he would say those things out loud. Jim Carrey, we all know Jim Carrey, crazy Jim Carrey. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. <clears throat> Ralph Barton was a political cartoonist in the 1920s. He was the cartoonist of the stars. <clears throat> Everyone knew him. He was international. He was famed. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, Charlie Chaplin, some of these great men. This is, this is uh, a note that was found on the pillow uh, of his bed after he committed suicide at age 39. He says, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife and from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours a day. And so he ended it because he couldn't make sense of it. Donald Kalish 
no longer with us. He was the chairman of the philosophy department at UCLA from 1964 to 70. This is what Kalish said. I'm glad I wasn't in his class. So there's no system of philosophy to spin out. There are no ethical truths. There are just clarifications of particular ethical problems. Take advantage of these clarifications and work out your own existence. You're mistaken to think that anyone ever had the answers. There are no answers. Be brave and face up to it. I don't know if maybe Ralph Barton took Dr. Kalish's philosophy class. I'm not sure. But with all respect to Dr. Kalish, he really does contradict himself when he says there are no answers. But to say there are no answers is, in fact, an answer to the question, are there any answers? The professor also said that life has no purpose. But the professor made his, it his life's purpose to tell people that life has no purpose. Strange. Why should we believe Dr. Kalish's philosophy of life? Now, let's first off, you're going, I'm not even quite sure what a philosophy of life is. Well, let's just talk about that for a minute. What is your philosophy of life? What do you believe? Philosophy of life basically is a worldview or a philosophy. It, it's an overall view through which we interpret life's events into a meaningful and significant framework. It's why we do the things we do. It's why we don't do the things we don't do. And every worldview is based on faith. Every worldview is based on faith. Now, let me just ask you a question. So Dr. Kalish's philosophy would, would be contradicted by the Bible. The Bible would take issue with Dr. Kalish. The Bible that I had never read does claim to have answers to life's essential questions. Let me just ask you a question, if you don't mind just raising your hand real quickly. How many of you grew up, it was a natural course of your life, to read and even examine the Bible a little bit? Just raise your hand if that's what you did mostly in life. Okay, now just don't mind, come on, don't, don't be shy. Just, it's not embarrassing to have read the Bible. Okay, so you see about maybe 10 hands in the room went up. Um, so not many of us have had that experience. Well, one of the things we're going to do here in the, in, in the Alpha course is find out, okay, I don't know if I believe it, but let's, let's find out what it says. At the end of the course, if you just know what it says, whether you agree with it or not, I think you'll have left here at least a little more educated and aware of why you believe what you believe and why you don't believe what you don't believe. See, the Bible claims to have answers to our, our worldviews questions. It, where did I come from? Where am I going? Most of us don't really care much about that, but why am I here? Wait, why am I here? And the Bible claims that God made us for a purpose, an intentional purpose. And again, I'm not asking you to believe that. But if the Bible is true, Jesus made some incredible claims. He said that he came that we would have life abundantly, meaningfully, even when the horrific things of life happen. But to believe that, as I said, that requires faith. Now, are you a person of faith? Um, do you have faith? Maybe you not much, but here's the thing. You and I exercise faith every day. Every day we exercise faith. We think of faith typically in the context of religion, but we exercise faith all the time, multiple times during the course of every day, and we don't really even typically or necessarily think about it. Um, you guys watch the weather, don't you? Now, last week we watched the weather. That's why we weren't here last week. Um, but you watch the weather. But here's, I mean, how many of us really, you know, how many of these guys, really, you, you watch this guy and you believe in faith, right? Now, and sometimes it just seems like it's a crapshoot. They're just not quite sure. I'm sure they're, they're educated. Um, don't mean to offend any meteorologists, but, you know, I think they should just be able to get it wrong so many times. Don't you think? I mean, how many barbecues can they screw up? You know, weddings, parties of whatever sort, reception. How many times should they be able to get away with it? Well, I think after a certain number of times, you just have a security guard there and just haul them <laughs> off. Just that's it. No more. So if you can't, if you can't call the, get the rain cell, you go to the jail cell. How about that? I mean, I just think that would make sense. How many of you guys drove here tonight? Everybody drove here tonight? No Ubers or anything? Okay, you drove in faith, didn't you? Did you know you were going to get here? 
Did you know your brakes were going to work? Did you know your car was going to start? Did you know that they would stop at the stop sign and you could still go? Did you know that? The light, when the light turned red for them, they were actually going to stop. You didn't know any of that. You don't know those crazy people. But you got in your car anyway by faith and you came. And I just looked around the parking lot a little bit. Some of you guys came with a lot of faith looking at some of your cars. But, um, but you came here in faith. Did you enjoy your dinner? I hope you did for those of you who, who were courageous enough to eat. Um, did, did you meet the chef? You didn't meet the chef. You don't know what kind of day he had. Okay, He didn't have a good day. This was not a good day for him. And so um, let's just say he didn't have a good day and he, you just ate and ate. And some of you just kept on eating, I noticed. And, um, but he put a little something extra in some of your, your food. And, and so in, in a couple of hours and through the night, you may be experiencing that. And it's so bad, you have to call a doctor. Okay, are you going to call this doctor? Is this who you're going to call? Some of you don't know who this is. Ask the older people at the table. But I had many nightmares about Morgus the Magnificent. But again, you go to a doctor in faith. Do you not? I mean, we go to restaurants all the time. We don't ask, you know, could I, could I see the credentials of the chef? You don't do that. We just eat in faith. We live life by faith. That's what we do. Um, how many of you like flying? There's a few crazy people in here. Okay. Yeah. Is that faith in it? Certainly that's faith. Um, on January 15th, 2009, U.S. Air took off from, from New York to Charlotte Airport. And this is where it ended up. You remember this? Water temperature, 35 degrees. Air temperature, 18 degrees. I mean, this great gives new meaning to flying on a wing and a prayer. I think it does, don't you? Um, 155 passengers. But what was the issue? And I know this is kind of political, but the issue was illegal aliens. Did you know that? Illegal aliens caused this. It was an immigration problem because a gaggle of undocumented Canadian geese went right through <laughs> the engine. None of them had their papers. Or if, if they did, they were shredded. But anyway, but you, we fly in faith. We do, <laughs> we do everything in faith. It's what we do. So I sat on a... Anybody sit on a jury before? You had the joy of sitting on a jury? I sat on a jury. I got to be the, uh, um, whatever you call it, the jury leader or whatever it was. Um, what is it called? Foreman. foreman. That's what it was, foreman. And um, so uh, now the judge, when the judge asks us to come to a decision or determination, he asks us to come to a determination beyond, he didn't say beyond a shadow of a doubt. He said beyond, a, remember, reasonable doubt. That's right. And so the more evidence that is presented, the more reasonable our faith position. It's just the way it is. The more evidence, the more the faith position. So let me ask you this question. Um, you can just raise your hands again. And uh, I'm looking for my, my help here, but I'm not finding it. Um, how many of you believe, you can raise your hand if you would, there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat, okay, your last heartbeat that's going to last forever and you're hoping it's going to be good. Would you just Raise your, just raise your hand. Just hold it up. Don't be shy. I think there's something on the other side of the last heartbeat that's going to last forever. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, that's a fascinating answer to me um, because a whole, if you may have noticed, a whole lot more hands went up believing that than went up for having read the Bible. Now, I, I think it's fascinating what we do today. And I'm Charles. I'm going to need to borrow you for a minute. And Zach, could I borrow both of you? Okay. I, you don't know what I've asked you to do. It's, I promise you. Um, Let's see. Who represents physical life better? Okay, good, good. Okay. So, Charles, I want you to stand right here. You've you got the hardest part. Now, Charles is representing physical life, all right? And he is quite a specimen. Um, now, Charles, I need you to hold this while you hold that. Right, perfect. You know, you know how to do this. Zach, would you, you're going to go out of the screen. Now, we have to back the screen up a little bit for those of you watch, watching live stream. You're doing great, but Zach, is, there's too much of a belly here, Zach, so we don't want this to look like something. Okay, all right, so now here's the thing. We spend so much time of our lives trying to figure out what's going to last such a little bit of time, right? What are we going to study? Where are we going to go to school? 
what kind of car we're going to drive. What's, what is our occupation going to be? God forbid we get stuck with the wrong cell phone policy. I mean, life is over if that happens. But we spend all of this time trying to figure out these types of things that are going to be very short term. But here's what you guys said. You said you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever. Do you know what it is? Do you have any idea where you're going to be? I mean, here it is. I mean, and here's the thing. None of us know where we are on this continuum, do we? We don't know if this is it. We don't know if the food was poisoned. We don't know if we're going to make it home. We just don't know. But we spend all of this sweat, we build up all of these ulcers to come up with the right answers for something that's going to last just a little bit of time. Don't we? Yes, we do. So why is it, though, that we spend so little time that when when that happens to all of us, we really don't know. What do we do? Well, we hope so. Uh, I've been a good person. Um, I'm, I'm certainly no Charles Manson. I'm certainly no uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, just feel like your least favorite political person. Just I'm not them. You can do so. The question is this: If we believe there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat that's going to last forever, doesn't it make a little bit of sense that we would spend a little bit more time saying, "Should I just leave this to chance or religion?" Or hope so, hope I die on a good day. Or is there some way that we can say, though I may not know specifically and everything about it, that there are answers that God says he has given us in the Bible that answer this question even better than the questions of life that changed like that. And so this is what we're going to be talking about. Yes, let's get the right college degree and all everything, whatever that is. But why should we leave this open to question, open to uncertainty? When, if what the Bible says is true, God says you can know with certainty. Thank you. Okay. All right. Did these guys just do great or what? Thank you, Charles. You were awesome. Thank you. Zach came all the way from the North Shore to do that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Jackson, you're proud of your daddy, I hope. So here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if I find C.S. Lewis, you know, we've heard of C.S. Lewis. Many of us heard of C.S. Lewis. Atheist become follower of Jesus Christ. He said this, if I find in myself a desire which which no experience in this world, in the dash, if you will, in the dash, no experience in this world. Let me just put it up here for you. If I find in myself an experience, a, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Now, this is an interesting statement. I'm going to say, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world, right? How many, how many uh, Super Bowls did Tom Brady have? Seven. He's still at it. Okay. Ralph Barton. Think of all the people that we just saw and then think about you. And I have to think about me. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing in the dash can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for the line that this life is preparation a very short time. For what is to come if what the Bible tells us is true and what many of us just believe innately, there's got to be more than this. Ray Pritchard, uh, author and, and teacher, wrote this. He said, we were made to know God, he says. We are incurably religious or incurably spiritual by nature. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, has some concept of a higher power, some vision of reality that goes Beyond the natural, you go into the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa and you see spirituality, you see religion, you see a sense, faith, that there's something more than meets the eye. St. Augustine, who was the Hugh Hefner of the 300s, a lot of people don't know that, but um, 
He said, you made us for yourself, talking of God, the prayer to God. You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Now, Augustine was a hedonist's hedonist. And all of that life, all of those experiences, all of those joys, all of those pleasures meant nothing to him when he met up with who he would call the living God saying, and all that, you made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless. Look, you guys know this. You live on this planet. You watch the news. You experience life, right? You made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless in the dash until they find their rest in you in the dash and then in the line is what Pritchard's saying. Augustine is saying, Lewis is saying and i think the word restless really does describe from 2020 to the present not that restless hadn't described it beforehand but boy have things accelerated so we just seem to have trouble finding our way and that's the bible's declaration of the necessity of the incarnation of the son of god and if you will the son of god became the one from heaven to rescue the one who came on a rescue mission to win back to God the inhabitants of planet Earth, you and me. I mean, there's just so many different directions today. I mean, we're, we're clueless, we're curious, we're bewildered. We just don't know. And we find ourselves there depending upon our latest feelings or the latest reading in the newspaper. If you're into the stock market, you know, or, or commodities. I mean, life is going like this all the time. Possibly you have or still see, possibly you do see Christianity as you've experienced it, as you have experienced it. See, I experienced Christianity growing up, but I did not experience Christianity as the Bible explained clearly Christianity to me because I never read it. I had no idea what was in it. So I thought it was boring. Maybe you think it's boring or untrue. Maybe so. Or just irrelevant. Well, our hope is that while you're here and in times to come, that you will find it is just the opposite. So throughout the Bible, I saw declarations that Jesus made about himself that are so contrary to what I assumed about his purpose of coming to earth to rescue us. So I want to do this. We're going to just touch on, before I finish here, we're going to touch on a couple of just a, one scripture in particular that will lead us to a couple of others. And I'm going to take you to the Gospel of John. I'm going to touch on these three things that really have everything to do with the dash and the line. Jesus made some interesting statements. And in John, I think we're on page eight in your manual, if you want to see that. Jesus made some interesting statements. Now, listen, I want you to, as I'm telling you this, hear this. Don't read his statements. Do not... Promise me, raise your hand, I will not read these statements. No, I'm just, do not read these statements as just religious, ethereal, having nothing to do with you. If the Bible is true, if it is true, it has everything to do with you. And these words are not recorded if they were not important for us to know. And so Jesus said this according to the God. To the gospel writer John, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, hear this. He didn't say going to church is the way. He didn't say going, doing your prayers is the way. Doing good deeds is the way. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But he puts himself at the front of the line of all those things. He says, I am the way. Not rules, not laws, not church attendance, not do-gooding, not giving money, hoping that'll be enough. He understood the condition of each and every one of our hearts. As I said, and I, I'm, sure you can, I'm sure you can relate to this. Restless, unsettled, maybe wayward, empty even, confused, heartbroken. Just fill in the blanks. Jesus makes this statement that I am the way. Let me just pull this the out for a minute. 
And he would say this, I am your way. There's nothing that Jesus says that is not immensely intimate and personal. Not just this corporate confetti, throw it out there. It's very pointed. And if it's stated, he either said this or he didn't, right? It's either true or false. But if it's true, it's an amazing statement. If God comes to earth to communicate this with us, how amazing it would be if Jesus came to me and said, I am your way. Regardless of your background, regardless of what country you grew up in, regardless of what your religious tradition is, he's saying, I am the way. And so let's look at this a little bit more. He said, I am the way. And so when he's saying that, he also, let's look at John chapter 6. This is what Jesus said because he understood the condition of every one of us. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Did you see that? He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, he said he's the bread of life. He didn't say he's the bread for your stomach. He said he's the bread of life. That he, He's making this claim, this ridiculous claim, this grandiose claim that he is the way. And if you're going to have satisfaction, my grandkids used to say when they'd had enough to eat. I said, do you want anything else, Nathan? No, I'm satisfied. She's so cute. Um, but I am the bread. He's the one that satisfies our life. That's, what it, that's his claim. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He quenches, the, he says, he claims to quench the thirst of life. He says he comes to fill the emptiness of our hearts. And then in John 10, he says this, I am the door. Now, he's not saying he has hinges. You understand that. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, let's track with Jesus here through our dash and just imagine the line. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Where? In the dash. He says, I will make sense of a crazy life. You will be saved in the dash and you will go in and find, and find pasture. I came that they may have life in the dash and have it abundantly in the dash and the moment your heart stops forever. That's his grandiose claim. It's either true or false. It either is really what he said or he did not say it. The question is, do we have any evidence for that? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you come back next week, <laughs> so, uh, if, we're going to talk about who is Jesus. And we're going to talk about, is there any evidence to support the Bible? Is there any evidence to support if this guy Jesus even lived or that I should believe for a moment? He is who you're saying this book says he is. Well, there's some amazing evidence. And I really, again, I, I, I want you to come back anyway. But there's some fascinating things for us to see next week as we get into session two. Who is Jesus? He says this. I mean, if this is true, is it, excuse me, is this not good news if this is true? I came that you, okay, why don't you instead of they here, why don't you just put your name here? Blake, hey, Blake. I came that Blake might have life and have it abundantly, okay? I came that Tran would have life and have it abundantly. came that Jonathan would have life and have it abundantly. That's either a true statement or it's, he's just bloviating nonsense. It's not half true. Because if it's half true, it's all false. Christianity can't be kind of sort of true. There's just too many claims that are made in this book, supposedly by this guy. So he said, I am the way. See, and if anyone comes to me, he'll be saved and go in and out and pasture. I mean, what a, a statement there of absolute rest, absolute rest. Be saved from what? Saved from going the wrong way. And then Jesus said that I am the way and the truth. Now, 
Some would ask, particularly in the, in the realm of religion, isn't it enough to just be sincere in your beliefs? Does it really matter what I believe? But really, think about this for a moment. What does sincerity have to do with right or wrong? Think about that. I mean, I, I believed what I believed about God sincerely, and then I found out that I was sincerely wrong. But does it matter what I believe? Let me just ask you this. Let's just look at this for a minute. Let's just think this through together. Does it matter what we believe? I mean, I've heard this a lot, and it sounds so esoteric. sounds so lofty. It's not what you believe, but that you believe. Okay, well, let's just carry that line of thinking out. It's not what you eat, but that you eat. Now, I know for Americans that, that may be true of us, but... Um, it's not what you breathe, but that you breathe. Any nurses here going to go for that? No. How about this? It's not what you invest in, but that you invest. Anybody following any Ponzi schemes lately? Now, now, this one may be true. I know some people are getting desperate. So it's not what you marry, but that you marry. I mean, depending upon where you are right now. Um, so so we, we can come up with it's not what you believe, but that you believe. Don't be so narrow. No, that, unfortunately, the Bible is kind of narrow. Um, uh, you know, we may say this, that the one thing that bothers us about Christianity is, is, exclu- is its exclusivity. But hear me, and we're going to talk about this more in week three. Okay, Um, all religions are exclusive. All religions are narrow. The question is not if it's exclusive or not. The question is, is it true? Now, if one religion is saying this and another religion is saying that and they're saying two completely different things, either this one is true and this one is false or this one is false or this one is true or they're both false. But they can't be complementary of one another if they're saying different things, if they have different tenets, if they have different positions of faith. Does does that make sense to you? It should make sense. Okay. And so the question is not sincerity or not what I grew up in, but what is the truth? Can I know the truth? Jesus makes this ridiculously, I'm going to use the word again because I like it, grandiose claim. I am the way, and I am the truth. Hmm. I'm so grateful that God did not ask us if the, what the Bible says is true. He does not ask us to check our brains at the door. As a matter of fact, the biggest prayer in all the Bible is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul, and with all of your mind. So while we're here, we don't want to check our brains at the door. We want to engage the mind that we have been given in our thoughts, in our statements, in our questions. And then Jesus lastly makes this statement. He says, I am the way, the truth. And then he makes this statement. I am the life. The Bible teaches us, again, not asking you to believe it, but it's what it says, that we were made in the image of God, but we marred that image when in the Garden of Eden, our progenitors, our great, 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 all the way back, grandfather and grandmother rebelled against God. Why does Jesus say he is, okay, way, truth, fine, but now he says he is the life. Well, in the third chapter of Genesis, the first two humans... Adam and Eve declared their independence from God when God set in the midst of the garden two trees. And he said, the day you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And guess what they did? We know what they did. If you know the story, they did partake and they immediately died. Now, they didn't drop dead immediately. But they did die 
in terms of their relationship to God. They were separated from God. They died in their relationship to God. They had rebelled against him. And then, not only did they die in their relationship to God, they began to die in their relationship with one another. What happened? They knew that they were naked. They felt ashamed. They clothed themselves. And it left us heirs of a nature that wants what it wants when it wants it, and the hell with you. Get out of my way. Now, we're not going to be that arrogant about it. Well, maybe some will. But we're going to do it with many pleasantries to get our way. And the only difference between our offense to God when we were two years old and today are the complexities of our self-centeredness and offenses against what the Bible says is a holy God. We want what we want when we want it. Ernest, um, William Ernest Henley uh, wrote a poem back in the late 1800s. Um, you may be familiar with the movie Invictus, that story about the rugby team, really good movie. Well, the last stanza of this poem, which the movie was named for, is, is this. Henley wrote, it matters not how, now catch this, how straight the gate, right? Jesus said, the road, allegedly said, the road is narrow that leads to heaven. It matters not how straight the gate, how fraught with punishment the scroll, commandments, all the rules. It matters not how straight the gate, how fraught with punishment the scrolls. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, Henley now knows whether he was or wasn't. With all, with all due respect to Mr. Henley, he was, he was either right or he wasn't right. Either the Bible was right or he was right. But the Bible would take issue with him. See, Jesus comes into the midst of our self-reliance and says, you're headed in the wrong way. I'm the way. You're believing a lie, but I've come to bring you the truth. And when it comes to your relationship with me, Jesus says, you're dead, but I am the life. That's what I came to give you. Life with me in the dash and in the line. Because if what the Bible says is true, if what Jesus says is true, we need his life. John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it fully. And then John 3, spending a lot of time with John here. This is what is reported that, of Jesus. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, not continue to be dead in their relationship with God, but have eternal, abundant life. That's it. Maybe some of you are familiar with that scripture. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? You've heard that scripture before. Okay. Now, some of you aren't familiar with it. It was great. But this is the thing. We would tend to think of this word, the world. But I, I would ask you again. For God so loved. Would you just put your word, your, your name there? For God so loved Lisa that he gave his only son. That, it, that if Lisa would believe in him, she would not perish. She would not on the other side of her last heartbeat, be separated from God forever. That's what the Bible claims. But she would have eternal life with the one who says he is the life. We're going to dig much deeper into that in the next couple of weeks. But let's close out my portion uh, before you guys talk to one another and determine whether you want to register or not. Let's just go back to our friend um, Shia LaBeouf. 35-year-old Shia LaBeouf. He said, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. Well, let's, I just want to introduce 35-year-old Shia LaBeouf to about 4,400-year-old Blaise Pascal, famous mathematician, French mathematician. This is what Pascal said. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled 
by God made known through Jesus Christ. So here's a guy that lived in the 1600s. He's saying, there's a God-shaped hole in me. Here's a guy who's alive today saying, there's a God-shaped hole in me. And every one of us, whether we recognize it or not, there's a God-shaped hole in us if what the Bible says is true. And if what you're feeling and feel oftentimes in life is what you're actually experiencing or have experienced. But Pascal came to see this. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. That's either true or it's not true. I am not asking you to believe that. Do you understand that? I'm not asking you to believe that. I'm not insisting that you believe that. I'm just reporting. You can decide. I'm just telling you what it says. And that's what's so good about Alpha, that we can come and go, I don't believe a word that guy said. That's awesome. I don't believe a word I'm saying either. No, I'm just uh, This is an opportunity for us to come and think and reason together and enjoy it. Enjoy disagreeing. Enjoy learning. Enjoying maybe something. Maybe you're going to maybe when you open your mouth, you're going to actually hear yourself for the first time. Say what you believe. (laughs) It's really fun that way. It really is fun. Say, listen to what I just said. So. Next week, we're going to talk about who is Jesus. And what we're going to be doing, we're going to talk about some questions of life. Questions like this. What's the meaning of my life? Can I really know that God cares for me? Will this pain in my heart ever go away? How do I deal with the guilt and the regret in my life? How do I make sense of human suffering? And these are some of the questions that we'll be talking about that the Bible claims to have answers for. So next week, who is Jesus? We're going to look at evidences for the Bible. We're going to look at the resurrection. Is the resurrection just some religious fable or did it actually historically happen? Some fascinating evidence there. It's too important. Okay. It's just too important to assume. So how about us? Would you join us just for the next nine weeks or as often as you can? We just make a date here, enjoy a good meal, enjoy meeting some folks, making some new friends. But let's come together to explore if there really is more to life than this. Now, before we take a quick break, um, just some table rules. It's going to get really loud in here. So only, you know, only one person talking at a time. Okay, if we can do that, just try to control yourselves. Um, Now... And, but you don't have to talk, okay? But if you don't talk, we're just going to... There's an article that I read. If you don't talk, we're just going to assume you're depressed and shallow. Um, it says, happy people talk more and with more substance. So we'll be judging you tonight by how much you have to say no, we won't. So if you're watching online, I'm going to put some questions up here that you may want to consider. Hey, if you want to invite some friends, if you want to invite some friends to watch with you next week, if you're watching live stream, please do that. Um, but if you want to bring some friends with you next week, please do that. We will, we got more room and we will make more room for you. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Next week we'll be in section session two. If you want to jump ahead and look at some of that, please do that. But, um, next week we'll get started dinner again at six 30. Let's take a quick break and let's get back to our tables and we'll be done. Oh, for some of you, 8.30. If you want to hang out as late as 8.45, we can do that. But kid care will end at 8.30. So, okay, thank you for coming. Thank you so much. We hope to see you next week.